Well, it's great to be back on this series against Christian pacifism. So excited to be doing this. And we're kind of working our way through the idea of whether it's reasonable to say that the whole Bible is against violence. And the reason this comes up is because there's a certain perspective out there that basically says that violence is always wrong for everybody, everywhere, all the time, because God himself is against violence. If God himself is against violence, we would never be able to find anywhere in the Bible any indication that God was for violence whatsoever. I think that's a fair thing to say. God wrote the Bible, in it is included what he wants for us, what he tells us about himself, what he tells us about how we should live. We would expect if God was completely against violence all the time and for every reason, well, he would tell us that, right? We would never, we would expect that we would never find any instances where the Bible encourages violence or God tells his people to commit violence or gives rules about violence. And that really is what kind of brings us to today's lesson, which is kind of asking the question about whether or not the Old Testament is a good guide for us on the use of violence. This is a question that really plagues pacifists. Uh, One of the prominent pacifists I've mentioned a couple times named Yoder in his book, The Politics of Jesus, says, we ask, can a Christian who rejects all war reconcile his position with the Old Testament story? He's asking a question that needs to be answered, doesn't it? Lasserre, in his book, The War and the Gospel, says, here's the brutal fact. One can say, by and large, that the Old Testament ignores that respect for human life, that unconditional love, that nonviolence, which, as we have seen, forms the general climate of the New Testament. There's a striking contrast here between the two parts of the Bible. I wholeheartedly disagree with Lasser. He essentially tells us that the Bible is here in two parts, and as I mentioned in the last episode, this really is the heresy of Marcionism, this idea that the Bible has these two parts, and God says one thing for half of it and another thing radically different in the other half. I mean, it really is like, listen to this half, but not that half. But I don't want you to take my word for that right? I don't think it's good enough just to be like, hey, Jeremiah says this, the VC says this, therefore it must be true. That's not how it should work, right? We should go to the Bible. And what I love about the Lasserre quote is he tells us that there is a general climate in the New Testament of nonviolence. And I actually agree with that. I do think, generally speaking, both the Old and the New Testament have very similar ethics. Now, they may strike you as surprising if you've read through the Bible, if you've never thought about how the Old Testament and the New Testament works together. I think a lot of people have that impression, the same impression Lasserre has, where there's an Old Testament and there's a New Testament, and they barely touch each other. You know, they have something to do with each other, someone might think, but how much really? And here, specifically, on the use of violence, there is a lot of people who say, the Old Testament's pretty violent, and the response will be, well, that's the Old Testament. You know, the New Testament is different. So that raises a question for us. I think it's a good question. And the question is, does the New Testament disagree with the Old Testament about life and the value or the love of life? If it does, if the two disagree with each other, man, we've got some major problems we're going to have to handle. 
I think waving our hands and saying, well, it's two different testaments, two different time periods or whatever, I don't think that's going to work. We're going to have to have something a little more robust or something a little more biblical. But first, let's see, is it true? Is it true that the New Testament disagrees with the Old Testament about life? Let's go to one of the sections of Scripture that talks a lot about principles that most pacifists would point to as being principles of nonviolence, and that's Romans chapter 12. Let's take, for instance, Romans chapter 12, verse 17. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. I've heard that quoted so many times as essentially being a pacifist statement. The essential understanding of it is that if you say, do not repay anyone evil for evil, that means if someone does something bad to me, I therefore am in no respect able to respond in any way except through pacifism. I've heard it said that way a number of times. The surprising thing here for me is that with just a simple concordance search, you find out that this statement of Paul's in Romans chapter 12, which is in the New Testament, didn't start with him. He didn't invent the saying, do not repay anyone evil for evil. It didn't begin with him. I think Lasserre, it would have helped him if, if he had maybe looked around the Bible a little bit and thought critically about what does the New Testament think of the Old Testament, because I think he would have found that the New Testament is very fond of the Old Testament and quotes it frequently. You know, take this, do not repay anyone evil for evil. If I were just to say to someone, is that New Testament or Old Testament? Pretty much everybody is going to say New Testament, but in fact, it's both. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22 says. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver. What? That sounds so much like Romans 12. It's really kind of unbelievable. In fact, the best explanation for where Paul gets the phrase, do not repay anyone evil for evil, is that, well, he was a good student of the Old Testament. He knew his Bible well. And his Bible, his Old Testament, taught him to not repay evil for evil. You can go on. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Again, that's often quoted by pacifists and by those who support pacifist ideas. It's often quoted by people who have pacifist sympathies, the idea that because this passage rightly teaches that vengeance is not for us, but is for God, that therefore we should not in any way use violence. But the thing is, this is not a New Testament-only passage. In fact, it is written, kind of indicates to us, that it comes from somewhere else. And where does it come from? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 32. One of those sections of scriptures that outlines in detail many laws that pacifists would say, well, these are Old Testament laws, therefore they're not for us anymore. What Lasserre might say, well, it doesn't show that love of life, that respect for life. Well, Deuteronomy 32 says, Vengeance is mine and recompense, for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. The idea that God will be the one who repays, and therefore we don't have to seek vengeance for ourselves, that's from Deuteronomy. That's Old Testament. That's not a New Testament ethic alone, but it's an Old Testament ethic as well. How about the next verse, Romans 12, 20? To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. What a beautiful sentiment. 
and I think is a great challenge to our morality. I think the natural human inclination is to look to destroy and subvert your enemy at every point, and it all turns. I think the idea of doing good to people who are against you is contrary to our sinful inclinations to always put ourselves first and is a great challenge to our own sense of our goodness compared to our fellow man. The one thing that Romans 12.20 is not is unique to the New Testament. But in fact, we find that Romans 12.20 is in fact quoting from the Old Testament. It's an Old Testament ethic that we find in Romans. Proverbs 25 verses 21 and 22 says this, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. That's essentially a direct quote from Proverbs 25 that we find in Romans 12. This doesn't seem at all to me to be a situation in which there's an Old Testament ethic and a New Testament ethic, and we're being asked to pick one of them over the other. But instead, what we're finding through these verses is that actually there's massive agreement. The, the New Testament writers, rather than saying, hey, listen, guys, the Old Testament said this, but I'm telling you, the New Testament, we're going to do something a bit different. That didn't work, or it didn't hold a high enough morality, or, or any of those things. I mean, I think that's massively unbiblical to think that way, and my support for that is that the Bible doesn't seem to think that way. It doesn't express itself that way. We say, well, okay, you're kind of cherry-picking here from Romans 12. I think you might say that about any verses I went to, but just remember, the source for my interest in those verses is that those verses are often brought up as being pacifist verses. People will say, this is a pacifist ethic. We have to hold to these verses, not realizing that the Old Testament, in which God, through his people, often used violence, he sometimes did it directly, sometimes through his people, also had that same ethic. But let's go to a different passage, one I've covered in great detail in other episodes. I did a whole series on the Sermon on the Mount, and you'll find this in much greater detail in that section there. But listen for a second about Matthew 5, verses 43 through 45. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Well, a lot of people point to this section of the Sermon on the Mount as evidence that Jesus is introducing a new ethic. But listen here instead to what Leviticus 19 says in verses 17 and 18. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Wow. It's not exactly what I think most people expect to see. When Jesus says that we should love our enemies, he's pulling this idea directly from Leviticus 19, because what Jesus does is he makes everyone our neighbor. He goes on to say, that it's God who causes it to rise even on the evil and on the good, on the just and on the unjust. And then that's the source of why we shouldn't hate our enemy. But believe it or not, this idea that you shouldn't treat your enemies badly, as has already been mentioned, is not only a New Testament ethic, but Old Testament ethic as well. In Exodus 23.4, it says, If you meet your enemy's ox 
or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. Even your enemy? Yeah, the Bible says in Exodus 23 to treat your enemy well, even bringing his animals back to him. Leviticus 19, through 34 says, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I'm the Lord your God. Again, this idea that the stranger may be as the native. Treat the neighbor as you treat yourself, as you love yourself. This is not a, a new ethic. Jesus is teaching his people what the kingdom will be like. And you can go back and listen to those episodes for greater details of that. But Jesus explicitly is teaching people about the nature of his kingdom and what it's like. And unsurprisingly, we find that it matches what God reveals about himself in the Old Testament as well. Jesus didn't write something new out of whole cloth but instead demonstrates exactly what he said he would, which was he did not come to do away with the law and prophets, but to fulfill them. He's not against the Old Testament ethic. He fulfills the Old Testament ethic. So what conclusions should we draw from this, whether we're talking about Romans 12, we're talking about Matthew 5? Well, it's that the Old Testament teaches an ethic that values human life. It's really hard to read these passages where we learn in the Old Testament we should feed our enemies, give them bread, give them water, do good to them, that we shouldn't hate the people around us, we shouldn't bear grudges against them, but we should love them as we love ourselves, that if we see our enemies' animals wandering around, we should bring them back to them, even though they're our enemies, that if there's a stranger from outside, we should treat them like one of us because we were strangers ourselves once. That's a very high value on human life, and in fact, identical to what we find in the New Testament. I think it's fair to say that the New Testament ethic of the value of human life actually comes from the Old Testament. It's what you would expect. Jesus holds the Old Testament in high regard, so much so that he always quotes it approvingly. And as you probably know, he used the Old Testament to demonstrate himself. Those people on the road to Emmaus, he expected them to know the things that were going to happen to him, even the things they thought were bad. And when they didn't get it, he told them they should have. And then he explained to them how all of the scriptures, it says the law and the prophets, pointed to him, beginning at Moses. So all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. So if you have an ethic of Jesus, then you have to have the Old Testament ethic, especially when it comes to life. There's no other way. That's the only reasonable conclusion. So since Old Testament principles do not contradict New Testament principles on the value of life, We should treat the Old Testament as a reliable guide on this question of violence. So far from saying, I can pick the Old Testament or the New Testament, so I'm going to pick the New Testament, we should say, what does the New Testament tell us about the Old Testament? And that is that it shares its ethic. It quotes it extensively. You see, the Old Testament is not self-contradictory, right? It's consistent. And yet the Old Testament causes us to think about our love of our neighbor, love of our enemy, but it also gives us examples of permissible godly violence. And the Old Testament principles in the use of violence are not contrary to its own commands for love of neighbor, love of enemy. Another way of saying this is like this. God gives us rules, guidelines, and commands that sometimes in the Old Testament include specific examples of violence that should be used. 
If you want to hear some details about that, I would just recommend going back the past two episodes. We kind of went into that in some detail, but sometimes God literally prescribes what a pacifist would refer to as violence. He prescribes it, meaning you should do it. You should react this way. And he also tells us we're to love our neighbor. We shouldn't be vengeful. We should value human life, even our enemy's life, even the stranger's life should be valued. And so this is actually a really good place for us to do exactly what the New Testament writers do, which is to make sense of what God would have us to do in a general moral direction. The laws of the Old Testament shouldn't necessarily be our national laws. I don't think there's a one-to-one correspondence between that nation of Israel and our nation, but there is what some theological writers referred to as general equity, meaning we should value the things that God values. And so when it comes to laws that were assigned to the nation of Israel as a civil body, we should take those as a general outline of what a good, a good country should do, especially when it comes to use of violence. And also, we don't have a special endowment by God to wage holy wars. In fact, believe it or not, the people of God themselves did not have a persistent general command always to take over more lands and kill people and so forth. And so since that command wasn't generalized for them, it's not generalized for us as well. We don't have that. We do conquer the earth, but by the Holy Spirit, through the double-edged sword of his word. But we shouldn't draw from that the idea that therefore God has nothing to teach us about ethics from the Old Testament. That's just not a valid conclusion to draw. And so in future ensuing episodes, what we're going to do is we are going to go and look at certain aspects of the Old Testament, look about what it tells us about how violence is sometimes permissible, how sometimes violence is actually the correct response to a situation. We're going to do it carefully, do it exegetically. The one thing we're not going to ever do on this program is treat God's Word as though it's not God's Word as though God had one ethic for one group of people and a different ethic for a different group of people. That's simply not a a smart or a biblical way to view the Bible. certainly not how the men of the Bible, the people of the Bible, viewed the Bible. This is a point at which I want to remind you one, one last time that I understand this is a controversial topic, the use of violence. It's not easy. I, I don't come to it lightly. Even in my own personal life, from my personal studies, when I had no intention of even sharing it with anyone else, I didn't come to it lightly. And so I don't want anyone to ever take one of these episodes as an excuse for them personally doing violence in some way to another particular group of people, because that's that's not what these episodes are about. Instead, what we're trying to do is look to see, has God called us to be pacifists if we're Christians? And I think the resounding answer from Scripture, as I'm attempting to demonstrate through all these episodes, is the answer is absolutely not. We're not called to be pacifists. We're called to be peaceable, and those are not the same thing. And finally, I want to remind you, I've been working on this a long time, and really any point of time that I released these episodes, someone might think I'm trying to make a connection about a current historical event and what I'm teaching, and that's not fair. I've been working on this for years and years, and it really began actually from personal questions that I have, and I'm sharing it now because I think it's helpful and I think it's good but certainly not because of any, any topics or current events that are going on. Certainly it has perhaps applications, and something you should work through is what does it mean about your life and the life of people around you. There's no question that's true about all scriptures, isn't it? But there is no special occasion 
upon which I thought, you know, I really have to do this topic right now. Now, I say all this, and I want to remind you, I actually agree with what was said at the beginning of this that was written by one of the pacifists. And that is, the general climate of the New Testament actually is a respect for human life, that there's love, that generally speaking, our default position should be nonviolence. I actually agree with that. What I think this episode should teach us is that that's not true just of the New Testament. That's true of the Old Testament as well. In the Old Testament, while you do see episodes of violence, that by and large what God called his people to do was to worship him and obey his commands. And that when those things were happening, the people often experienced times not only of great prosperity, but also times of great peace. And that's why he speaks so often of the peace of God, the shalom of God, and the people seeking after it, because anyone who has experienced violence, whether on a personal level or a collective level, knows the disruption that comes from it. It's not a thing that should be an ideal for us. Nevertheless, because the scriptures do talk about it, because the scriptures do handle it, it's important for Christians to have a good handle on it as well. And what I would never want is for someone, whether it be the world or the church, to have such leverage over Christians that they would quote a few passages from the New Testament and say, you see, that's what's called of you when those very passages are actually quotes from the Old Testament themselves. I want you to know the whole counsel of God so that you are prepared, knowledgeable, equipped, and capable. My prayer for you is that the love of our Lord will be with you this week. He will hold fast to you, transforming your life in a way that only he can. May the God of peace grant you peace. You're missing all things.